Hi there, this is the Eat Game Podcast. Really good to have you with us. Welcome back if you're a regular to the channel. I'm Tom Evans and our aim on this show is to educate, inspire and promote the benefits of sustainable, delicious game meat. Now, we have a great guest on for you for this week. So let's get into it. So my guest for this episode is Simon Wood, patron uh, owner of Wood Manchester, one of Manchester's finest dining establishments. Simon uh, was a famously crowned MasterChef champion in 2015 and from there has gone on from strength to strength, really, expanding his empire. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Tom. How are you? Very well, uh, very well. Can we can we call it an empire? Are we are we there yet with, with it? We're Simon? working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> it's a slow build for sure. I bet it is. Um, well, you're doing brilliantly. Wood Manchester has got such a great reputation. Let me just go back to the beginning a little bit. Let's start at the beginning of your journey. Your first job, I read, was flipping burgers in McDonald's. Yeah, that was many years ago. When was that? Let's think. Uh, 1992. Uh, wow. <laughs> for a, a, a year to 18 months, maybe. That was, that was my first job and where I met the mother of my children, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's great. It's, I look back fondly on it and it taught me how to clean as I go, for sure. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Not much game involved, though. No, no, not at McDonald's. Not yet. We're working on that. Um, yeah. And this is all, Oldham, is that where you sort of hail from originally? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So was chef, restaurant owner sort of the dream from day one or did you realize a little later in life that you know I'm pretty good at this kind of thing you know was there a big sort of junction in, in your life and career how did that all come about well yeah I mean I always wanted to be a chef and then you know life took me in, in many different directions really I had children at a young age um long hours in kitchens and things like that wasn't it wasn't meant to be at that time so I went on to work in IT became a, a data scientist um, for a university in, in Manchester and that worked out of um, Arizona and different places like that. Um, and then I entered MasterChef. Um, I entered in temper because one of the bosses at the university that I worked for had really got on my nerves. And it was about seven in the morning and I looked at the cookies on Facebook after reading an email that I didn't take kindly to. And it said, are you the next champion? So I thought, you know what? Maybe I am, and I applied, and you know, as they say, the rest is uh, the rest is history. So you literally quit being a data scientist, and then just took that leap to sort of take yeah, your life it. with your own yeah. hands. That's amazing. Yeah, um, like we all do when we're watching TV shows, whether it be I don't know X Factor or The Voice or whatever it is, and they're saying why they're doing that, why why have they done this? And I was that guy, but with with cooking. So I put my money where my mouth was, and um, the first time I tried, you know fortunate enough to go on and win it and it's it's a life-changing event it really is well we're going to touch on master chef in just a little bit in that journey but um yeah i mean that's that's quite remarkable so what's the timeline from from winning that show to to where we are now three restaurants up and uh, which came which came first so wood manchester came first we then um opened woodchester which we don't have anymore that was one that that fell by the wayside throughout the pandemic we weren't lucky enough to save everything um and we've got woodcraft down in cheltenham um, which is uh, everyday food for everyday people, what I like to call it. We do breakfast, brunch, Sunday lunch and that kind of thing. So it's yeah. it, it's great. It's really enjoyable at the minute. This has its ups and downs, same as any industry. 
particularly hospitality. But, you know, we work very hard and we enjoy what we do. And would Manchester nominated for best restaurant in, in, in that city, which is just an amazing accolade. So tell me about the location for those that know Manchester. It's on First Street. Yeah, so we're on First Street, which for, for those of uh, us of a certain age, you might have heard of a, a small nightclub called the Hacienda. That's right. So yeah. it's, uh, it's just over the road from where that used to be, off, off Whitwood Street, in between the two stations, so Deansgate Station and Oxford Road, yeah. right right there on the, the, the First Street complex. What a spot. Fantastic spot. And, and a more casual approach to dining there then. So you've gone for a tasting menu format. Is that throughout lunch, dinner as well, or does it change up throughout the day? Recently, just had a change. Actually, we've we've come up, we've come away from tasting menu. Now we were tasting menu only uh, since reopening from the pandemic. Um, we kept it like that for a while because you can keep a good eye on costs. Everyone's having the same thing. It's easier to manage. And now we feel that uh, I do in particular that that style of dining is maybe it's not what people are looking for. I, I think people like to have a bit more influence on, on what they choose. So we've gone with a, a small and large plate concept where you can pick various dishes that relate to each other in certain ways. So for example, it's it's not exactly as it's going to sound, but you could order fish, chips and peas, but it's not fish, chips and peas by in any way, shape or form. But the classic flavours with the yeah. playful authenticity with what we do is is there. So you could do that. Um, and, you know, we, we have a barbecue, we cook over five and flame inside the restaurant and we use lots of um, um, garums and coges and lacto-fermentations, preserving, pickling, lots of complex molecular gastronomy, things that we enjoy that, that teaches the young chefs that we have how to, how to progress and, and more importantly how to cook from, from scratch really. And I guess that format allows people to sort of, well you can cater for different budgets as well. Yeah absolutely, it, it, makes, us, it makes us very accessible, um, plates start from around £8 and you can be in and out in an hour or you can have the table for the night and you can you can have 15 courses. It, it's really as simple as that. It's, it's design your own menu of sorts. Amazing, amazing. So talk, talk to me about game um, and what sort of part game meat plays, first of all. Well, I mean, first of all, what's your relationship with it? Is it was it a part of your life growing up? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, for those that saw me on MasterChef, I did cook, I, I cooked wood pigeon on there. Um, I cooked squab and uh, rabbit on there also so lo- lots of different things um some wild i think we had some wild mallard on there if i remember at one point as well it's you know it's something that i grew up eating um you know it'd be quite regular that my grandma in particular would be um you know serving rabbit with different things you know chips cooked in dripping and and, and things like yeah. that it's, it's not something that is alien to me like it might be a lot of younger people these days it's pretty unique to work with, isn't it? Does it test you now as a chef? Do you know what? It's really enjoyable. I think what it what it does. I, like, I, I live up in Saddleworth. We can get pheasants and things like that, you know, quite quite readily. I've often got a couple of pheasants, a brace of pheasants hanging in the living room, and you know, just because that's that's where they go. And then you know, we'll take them into the restaurants, and they won't always make the menu because of the quantity that we'd need to fulfil that. But um, we will get it from our suppliers. Um, but when when I bring them in from home, I'll teach the young chefs like how to how to pluck them and and different things like that. And it's it when when you're a chef, they, they don't always come in. Obviously, they come in not pre-prepped, but there's a lot of the hard work done for you. So when you get a whole one and you're talking to a 17 year old who's last meal out was probably like a Nando's, it's, it's a different kettle of fish. And it's great to see the look on their face when you give them this whole bird and they go, what do I do? 
<laughs> and that's it. And the, and the different types of, of, of bird that you're bringing in throughout the season. I mean, yeah. August into September, October, there's all the different types of quarry that I, I guess you've seasonally, you can really use and, and be creative with. Yeah, I mean, we, we like to work with grouse at the restaurant where costs allow, you know, um, pheasant, partridge, all things. I've got... Um, I've got young guinea fowl on at the minute, which isn't quite as gamey as what what we'd want. But um, we we use you know pusan, rabbit, venison, all kinds of different things. Uh, Muntjac, you know, it's 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 when you see things like that, you you get people that come in and say, "I want that." Um, the butcher that that we use um, is Aubrey Allen. Um, it's the king's butcher. Um, we've currently got venison that's going to be coming on next week, and some of our venison is actually shot in Balmoral. Not Great. all of it because it, it couldn't fit, service the entire country, but some of it is, and it's very, you know, well looked after. It's had a good life. It's great produce, you know, roaming freely. We're actually serving the haunch, and we're serving it as, as a tartare. Um, we're serving it raw, which is, like, quite unheard of for some people, but not for others. We serve it with kohlrabi, chive, charcoal, crispy capers, uh, beetroot pickled uh, onions and things like that, and it's just a really tasty wholesome plate of food the charcoal that runs through it makes the raw dish almost taste barbecued people are worried about it when they come in sometimes but when they try it they're like that's my favorite thing on the menu i can't believe how much i enjoyed it and that's that's the feedback that you want that's what we we enjoy doing yeah and and that's just the beauty of game meat the, the sort of the creative options that you have with it and a lot of people that listen to this podcast uh we know through various communication are new to game meat a lot of them are now sort of quite interested in well there's, there's some more of a focus on sustainability and that journey uh, that your food has taken from field to fork and yeah. you know the carbon footprint and moving away from farmed meats and all that so there is more yeah. of a focus on that right now so for those listening simon that are new to cooking with game meat what type of quarry would you suggest we start with i'd be quite happy to like start with maybe a small bird if you if you'd know how to look after a chicken um uh, I'd, I'd start with something that's that's quite small i'd always like i'd always brine my game to be honest just to keep that that flavor and most importantly mm. don't overcook it let's let's be cautious with the cookery you can't uncook it is, is what i would always say to someone starting out i think like venison saddle is a very slightly more expensive um meat to cook you know, if you want something that you want to cook down a little bit more, you could use the haunch of the venison and slow braise that while you get used to pairing flavours. And the one thing that I would tell people is research that area because you're guaranteed to find something that grows alongside it that that animal or that, that, that bird would, like, would, would have eaten. And then you can start to pair the flavours of your dish with that using local surroundings, for example. You could get some whiskey in there. You could use all kinds of, you could use heather and honey, you know, all kinds of different things that you could put with it to make it just absolutely sing on the plate and don't overcomplicate it. That's, that's the one thing people tend to do a lot of the time. And it's like, let the product speak for itself. Yeah, I mean, that's such great advice, Simon, and such a rewarding way to eat as well. Find out where your quarry was roaming wild. Go foraging for those local ingredients as well. And it all helps build on to the healthy and nutritional benefits that game meat brings. You know, it's lean, it's natural. The carbon footprint is so much better. Um, there's, there's so many benefits to, to using to using game, particularly from, from the, the island that we live on. We're, you know, we're very, very blessed with great produce. And you know, schools and education have a part to play in this, not just colleges and not just chefs. You know, they, they, they have a part to play. Like, 
kids in school need to know that you can eat a pigeon and it, it's not come from like i'm in manchester so piccadilly gardens you know it's something that's there that's a great meal and it, it tastes delicious it's really enjoyable it teaches you life skills it teaches you how to prep a bird how to break things down you know let's let's turn our, our kids away from turkey twizzlers chicken nuggets and sausages and start to get some some more interesting things on the menu in, in different ways and make normalize it Wise words, absolutely. Yeah, it's creeping in a little bit more on telly. I've noticed on these, you know, on the the cooking shows and the celebrity chef shows. You know, yeah. occasionally, you know, there's a piece of venison that comes out. There is a pheasant breast, especially when it's you know in the in the right season. But yeah. that's obviously uh, a major part, just making it more everyday, a bit more a bit more normal. And so we mentioned the Master Chef and cooking with game. Um, remind me what 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 was your winning dish? Was it a pigeon? It was pigeon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we had um, we had pigeon with. Um, Cob nuts, which had locally to where the bird was was sourced, uh, blackberries, which were in season at the time as well, uh, a cassis stew um, with carrots and watercress, you know, and all the dish tied itself together, um, some bacon lardons and, and different bits. So we had all the, the earthy, gamey flavours, but mm. with everything that was in season that complemented it as well. And like I said... It, animals tell you what to pair with them like they don't know it but you know what they grow up alongside you know what they eat use some imagination and, and pair those the two together and you've got a wonderful thing yeah experiment i think that's important i mean i say it, it can work and it can, sometimes goes a bit wrong there were a few dodgy moments on master chef i remember the beetroot ice cream incident what yeah that was quite a risk to take just fill us in on that yeah, remind everybody I, I have to be honest um they had to find something wrong with me because it was very difficult. Uh, I'm just um, yeah, it was a risk, but you can get a chocolate and beetroot cake and beetroot ice cream. I think what what the the thing that I got wrong in, in my head, thinking back to that time now, is I served it with baklava and for some reason a nasturtium flour. Now, all said and done, the flavour combinations on the plate, there's no balance. Uh, and I think that was more frustrating for me. People can not like flavours, but... You know, baklava is the sweetest thing known to man. Chocolate and beetroot ice cream is also the same as the chocolate cake. It's really sweet. Um, so it, we needed like maybe a, a set yogurt or a bavoir or something that would be, could cut through the baklava and then get rid of the nasturtium because pepper in that guy's anyway certainly didn't belong on that dessert. So live and learn. Um, but it is still a talking point. You're right. Yeah, well, it didn't harm you in the end, did it? Yeah. Uh, what's? Let me ask you, what's the biggest cooking disaster you've had would you say i mean at home or, or or professionally is there one that springs to mind cool we've had quite a few here and there you know <laughs> we all have i'm sure yeah, but yeah there's just, there's just things that one thing that does happen when you're learning learning to start with is over seasoning because you need to build up your seasoning and get it right for the restaurant and the, a restaurant cook seasons differently to a home cook but then you can come home and start to just make Sunday lunch and you think you're in the restaurant where you're going to be drinking big hundred pound bottles of burgundy we'll have some <laughs> champagne and then you're seasoning your roast lamb like that and then sitting down having it with a glass of water and it's like this is really unbalanced now <laughs> so it's things like that that you can do and it's just about learning and, and educating yourself that less is more sometimes less is more yeah yeah absolutely well you, you get to hear, hear that you've got a real passion for it and you know trial and error is uh such a big part of it do you enjoy the pressure that comes with this sort of high-end hospitality does it stress you out a little bit because we know we all know what the industry can be like do you know what i love it it's something that's inside you and um, people might look at you and they'll watch all these tv shows the boiling points and the bears of this world um i've not seen all of them um but i hear people talking about it and 
it's like, why do you do that? Why do you want to do that? And mm. first of all, those sh those shows are dramatized for the TV. Everything that you see in an hour on there might happen over the course of five years uh, in real life. But you, you adapt to it. And as chefs uh, and people that work in hospitality, whether it's front of house or in the kitchen or the bar, you know, we're we're quick thinkers, we're agile, we like change, we like a fast pace, and we like the adrenaline fueled environment. We're all really passionate about what we do. It's not just someone's tea or their lunch. It's it's your creativity, your passion, even if it's in a cocktail, never mind like just the food, everywhere you look, the, the tablecloth, the, the place setting, the service, the phone call, the booking, the follow-up email. You know, then the meal, then the wine service, then the, the pre-dinner drinks, then the cheese course, everything yeah. amalgamates into a holistic event, if that makes sense, that it just has to be right throughout. And you thrive off that. You're passionate about it and you live for it. And when you're not doing that and you're sat at home, you might think for that first couple of hours, God, I really need a rest. Then you'll start researching and doing different things. And that's that's the nature of being a chef and, and working in the industry. We're uh, inquisitive and... Um, possibly a little hyperactive sometimes. <laughs> outside of it though, outside of cooking, outside of the kitchen, do you actively sort of look for other hobbies to help switch off or is this your whole life? Is this your passion? Is this what drives you? Or are there other things? No, I don't. I, I mean, do you know what? I love my music. I love rock music, rock and metal. I've got my own breakfast radio show. I'm very lucky to have that on uh, Midlands Metalhead Radio, MMH, the home of rock. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> I, like to, I like to go to the gym. Um, I go to the gym four times a week. I like to walk. I live in, in on Saddleworth Moor, so I've got some nice village pubs, love a pint of Guinness and something nice to eat, a rag pudding, being from Oldham. There's lots of other things that I do enjoy outside the kitchen, but I need my 80 hours a week in there just to, to make it right and make it work. And any more books in the pipeline? Um, I know you've had At Home with Simon Wood. Is that right? That's uh, That was a yeah, few years I'm back. Anything else coming, potentially? I'd love to do a coffee table cookbook you know when you see the likes of daniel clifford sat baines 11 madison park great restaurants fantastic chefs you know icons of the industry and you know very inspiring people people that you look up to being as good as one day if you can and you know they have great books and you know i'd like to do a, a really good coffee table cookbook so if anyone's listening out there that wants to uh, get in touch then please do um but yeah, your own coffee table, high-end, super-duper cookbook would be great. I'd love to do that. Whose books are on your shelf? Whose who's books are in your kitchen? That'd be interesting to know. I mean, which I'm sort looking, of chefs and culinary figures inspire you? I'm sat in my living room and I've got La Russe Gastronomique. I've got Escoffier. I've got two copies of the Michelin Guide. Yep. Uh, let's have a little look. I've got White Heat by Marco Pierre White. Uh, Nicholas Ekstedt from over in Sweden. That's one of the restaurants I went to on the show. And then Eating Vietnam by Anthony Boudin. <laughs> that's wow. a little look. There's a lot more books in the house, but that's just what I can fit on the little cabinet on ah. the record player in the living room. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well, that's a really interesting insight, Simon. So thank you for that, taking us behind the scenes a little there. Um, yeah. It's been a fascinating chat. Thank you so much. I want to finish off the same way that we do uh, each of our guests. I've got some quickfire questions for you designed to get straight to the truths of your likes and dislikes. So I'm going to throw these at you now, 10 of them coming your way. Are we ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Uh, most underrated game meets, in your opinion? Guinea fowl. That's a novel one. We've not had that before. Okay, good shout. Uh, top choice of knife in the kitchen? I have an I.O. Shen uh, chef knife, which I really like. Um, I've also got a, a Rosewood uh, Victory Knox fillet knife, which I really enjoy as well. Your go-to comfort food? Uh, pork chop, mac and cheese, and sugar snap peas. Love that. Right, your favourite food city in the world? 
Barcelona. Great markets, great produce. It's just, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of me, I think. I think that's the best way of putting it. Uh, wine, beer or cocktails? Oh, wine. <laughs> wine all the way. All right. Worst flavour in the world, Simon? Um, fake mango. It tastes like sick. I haven't, uh, I haven't had the pleasure of yet, yeah. but okay, we'll steer clear of that. Is that coming a tin, I guess, yeah? Yeah, yeah. it's like cheap smoothies or um, like drinks you get with a kebab and stuff like that. And it tastes, it just tastes funny. All right, uh, next one. A few, a few more to go here. Uh, most yeah. unusual thing that you've eaten? Um, I had, I was sat on the Juliet's balcony when I was working in Verona and I had a horse goulash with polenta and it was sensational. Oh, it was good. Right. Okay. I, I wasn't sure that you were going to say go down the negative side of things, no. but it was good. Still, still probably the best meal I've ever had. That's incredible. And what a location for that. Uh, one ingredient you can't live without. Salt. Uh, restaurant recommendation, please, other than yours. I would have to say... Well, I'm going to go high end. And one where I've been in the past year or so was uh, Restaurant More Hall. More Hall, yes. Uh, West Lancashire. Beautiful up there. Okay. Two Michelin star. And the final question for you here. Your last meal on earth. You get to choose one main course. Simon, what are you going with? Oh, it's it's a burger. Good meat, which is cooked thin, not fat and dense. And I'm one of those guys that I don't want mac and cheese on my burger. I don't want pulled pork. I don't want anything else. I want some plastic cheese, some pickles, thinly sliced red onion, lettuce, tomato, and mustard. That's my burger. That's that's all I want. In Verona, under a balcony. Perhaps. Yeah, with a pint of Guinness and some chips. <laughs> uh, lovely way to finish. Uh, fantastic. Simon Wood, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck going forward with all your projects. Uh, you can find more about Simon and uh, his fabulous restaurant online, woodrestaurantgroup.com. Simon, thanks so much for coming on the Eat Game podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So big thanks to former MasterChef champ Simon Wood. Really good to have him on the podcast. Now, next week, we've got for you wild food expert, hunter, fisherman, food waste warrior. It's TV's Mark Lloyd. We've become very sterile in our view of what we want food to be. We want it in plastic little packs with no picture of the animal on it, with no reference to the animal on it, with a little pad underneath it to soak up any juice so we don't see any supposed blood, even though it's not blood. That's why butchery counters have gone out the majority of supermarkets is because they worked out that they can stick it in a pack and most people will just pick it up and help themselves. Really looking forward to my conversation with Mark Lloyd. Make sure you don't miss out. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already and we'll see you next week. The Eat Game podcast is a Media Cage production. 